I entitled today's lesson, A Workman Approved by God. And when we talk about work today and we talk about having a solid work ethic, let me define my terms for a moment. In my opinion, and I believe biblically, work is defined the same whether or not you stay at home and are the primary run, uh, person that runs your home or whether you work outside for an outdoor paycheck. They're actual equal bargaining chips. So whether or not you're running the home, let's say you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, your value to the family is absolutely equal to anything that is being done for a paycheck outside the home. So in the same way that gives you credit, but in the same way it's going to get you busted today because I'm talking to you too. When I talk about a solid work ethic, I'm even talking about how you run your home uh, for your children, for your spouse, what have you. So I don't want us to think that, oh, he's not talking to me, I'm going to check out. When he's talking about solid work ethic, I'm not working right now anyway. As a matter of fact, I might be talking to you a little bit extra today, all right? So we begin with a quote by Mark Hatfield at the top of your page there, and it says this, if we have integrity, we can live whole, integrated lives. That means we can't say, this is my public life, this is my private life. These are my public morals, these are my private morals. What we are... We are. See, we have an amazing ability in the human mind to compartmentalize. And we believe that in some way we can be an excellent Christian in arguing apologetics or going to church or ministering to people on the streets. And yet we're complete slackers at work and it doesn't bother us at all. We've somehow divorced in our mind that God doesn't care about our work ethic. And you couldn't be more inaccurate. As a matter of fact, by the time we get done with the message today, I think you're going to have quite an upside down view of this. And realize this is a major issue to God. In order to demonstrate how severe it actually was, Paul said these words. Look at the quote there where it says, Paul the Apostle, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. What's the rule? We gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he will not eat. That's pretty clear. Can't really worm your way out of that one. If you don't work, you don't eat. There you go. That's basic, right, have you? So, in order to get into this concept, please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24. It's page 470 in the Bibles that were handed to you. 470. But we're in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24. And as you're looking for that, let me tell you a bit of a story. Now, this is my experience. It's not the experience of everybody. But it's how it occurred in my life. Now, the way I, I started working at about 15 years old, I did some uh, handyman work for a friend's mom that was managing an apartment complex, and I've worked ever since. And then when I turned 16, um, I then began to work uh, in retail, and I worked through retail, and then uh, I went into retail sales, and then I went into the insurance industry and worked there, and I was actually a tent maker for a while when I first became the pastor here, meaning not literally making tents, but for eight months, I worked a full-time job, and I worked here as the full-time pastor. So this is kind of my weird career path that I went on. Now, in my experience, throughout all those jobs that I had outside the church, the biggest slackers on staff were almost always Christians. And I was always ashamed of it. Because everyone knew that I was a believer, and so if that person was a slacker, they would attach it over to me. And they would say, well, wait a second, this Christian, this person says they believe in God, and all they do is spend all their time at work 
talking about God, hanging out on the phone, talking with other people, handling all their problems, surfing the net about ministry stuff, and blah, blah, blah. And they keep thinking that they're doing God's work. I didn't hire them to be a Christian. I hired them to work. They're absolutely accurate. You understand that? As a matter of fact, it's so humiliating because I believe that it's completely the opposite. I believe that Christianity drives us as believers to have a higher work ethic than the world. Is that too much to ask? We have somehow lost this concept where we think, well, you know what? I'm just using Pharaoh's dime to spend, to spend time in God's word. Okay, that's unacceptable. That's wrong. It's called deception. And it's unacceptable to God. So we need to re-rack for a moment and say, hold on a second. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. We as Christians should be excellent workmen. We should not be the shame of the company. I believe this message is driven home right here in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24. Now, this chapter was uh, written, and it wasn't, of course, a chapter at the time, but this portion was written by a, a Gentile wise man named Agur. And it said this in Proverbs 30, verse 24. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Conies, which, by the way, I had to do a whole bunch of study on because I don't know what a coney is. And it's a little fuzzy rabbit-looking rock badger thing. Okay? it's about all I got for you. I think that was in the technical definition. Um, they live in the, in the cliffs and in the rocks. Conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with a hand, and yet it is found in king's palaces. Would you pray with me this morning for the word? Uh, Lord, would you embed your word in our hearts that we might live differently? Open up your word to us to spiritually discern the truth and empower us to operate in that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's what I think this passage says. I think it says, hey, lazy folks, look at the world around you. All the animals are getting their job done and they have severe limitations. What's your excuse? Isn't that what the passage just said? What did it, it just went through them? Ants, what's the ants problem? They're weak. What's Coney's problem? They're weak. What is the issue of locusts? They have no leader to tell them what to do. And what's the problem with the lizard? Well, they're easily caught. Okay, so they all have severe limitations, yet every one of them is getting done the job that God asked them to do. What's our problem? As a human being, we have the ability to flap our gums and talk, and so what we do is we throw out excuses for everything. We constantly have reasons why we're lazy or reasons why we're not getting the job done. We're always able to say something to try to defer somebody to think about something else other than the fact that we're just flat out terrible at our workplace. That is unfortunate. So at the heart of it, you say, well, what then must I do to change? Well, I believe that answer is found in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Proverbs 16, verse 3. It says this, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. And you're thinking, uh-uh. Okay. What is the definition of success in the Christian mindset or the Christian worldview? Doing what Jesus asks you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Success in the Christian mindset has nothing to do with, per se, money, fame, power. It's obedience to God. If God asks you to do this for 60%, you did 80%, that's 20% disobedience. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Okay, then our job is to do what God asks us to do. So everything we do, we need to commit to the Lord and say, Lord, I am doing this for you. And you go, Lance, this is stupid. Come on. Whether or not it's, uh, you have fries with that. Do I really need to pray over that? Come on. This is absurd. I got this job and it's, it's just paying the bills, man. It's not like it's a big deal to me. I'm just go there, put in my time, whatever, do the minimal, get out there, and then I can go get involved in ministry. No, you're wrong. And you just go, well, is it really that spiritual whether or not I say paper or plastic? Okay. Yeah, it is. It is spiritual. All of it is spiritual. All of it matters. And you go, well, that's not true. Well, 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's pretty darn clear. God cares about every aspect of your life. And yes, it does matter. And in order to hammer the point home, keep your finger there in Proverbs, but turn in the New Testament to the book of Colossians, page 834. And the Bible's handed to you. You're going to go really far to the right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Now, I don't know what your work situation is like. I would imagine for some of you, it's pretty dismal. However, if you're still called an employee, your situation is better than we're about to read. Because our word begins here in the NIV, at least, on Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, with the word what? Slaves. Okay, now we're talking about you don't own you. Your person owns you. They have the power over life and death over you. And in the early period where Paul was living, the Roman Empire was majority slave. So this was a lot of the Christians. They were slaves. So it says what? Slaves, obey your earthly masters in what? Everything. One person's reading the Bible. Praise the Lord. Here we go. Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Who's your boss? God. I don't care who's on the company docket. I don't care who has the little nameplate above their door. Your boss, if you are a believer, is God. Period. That's why we do excellent work. We do excellent work because he is the one you are working for. Now, here's how my life kind of went. I, I was not that mature to understand that. Now, I've always had a solid work ethic as far as working hard, but I did it for sometimes the wrong reasons. Um, what the, the noble reason was that I felt it was an integrity issue, and I didn't want anyone to think that I didn't care about them. I wanted to be of high integrity so I'd work hard. That was a good choice. The bad reason that I've always worked hard is that I'm a people pleaser, and I just wanted everyone to like me, so that's why I worked hard is I worked really, really hard so that my boss would always be amazed by me. That's really all I cared about was the credit. Now, that's an immature view, but that's about as far as I could go for a long time. Now, when you get older, you begin to realize that work is inherently valuable to you. It's not necessarily the paycheck you get, per se, but it's actually the ability to say, I'm creating, I'm doing something, I'm significant in the world. And you begin to see some value in that. And then when you get a little bit more mature, you begin to say, you know what? This honors Jesus when I do this well. And that all of a sudden becomes a good reason to work hard. Look at the fill in the blank in front of you. I believe this to be absolutely true. Your work life illustrates your theology. Your work life illustrates your theology. That means whether you are lazy on one side and apathetic, 
that suggests that you believe that God indeed is not looking or God does not care or that God's word is not true. Or whether you're a workaholic on the other side. If you're a workaholic on the other side, you are saying that there are many priorities in life, but God is not one of the top few. You get to pick and choose when you work. You get to pick and choose to put your family on the back burner. You get to pick and choose what you want to do. The Bible says that if you don't provide for the necessities, and that even means emotionally, for your family, your closest family members, it says you're what? Worse than an unbeliever. The Bible is very clear that no, it's not okay to spend all your time on the computer at home. You're out of line. You're completely blowing it. Because now you have abdicated, abdicated your leadership role over your wife, over your husband, over your children. And all you're doing is hiding. Okay, that is unacceptable. And you're doing it for the sake of saying you have a solid work ethic. It's an excuse. And we need to understand that we need to keep things in their proper categories. We work hard in the arena called work. And when it comes to home, we work hard in the arena called home. But we must keep those two worlds separate. I'll address that as we close up today. But there are five things in the book of Proverbs that are addressed very strongly and and in quantity. Tons of passages about them. So I'm going to go through these five with you today. The first one is the issue of laziness. Would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4? Proverbs 13, verse 4. To some degree, you got to own the idea that you don't want to be lazy. Because for a long time, you can get away with saying, well, I'm just being obedient to the Lord. I really hate this job, but I'm really just being obedient to the Lord. And that will last for a while. But at some point, you have to earn or own the fact that laziness doesn't get you anything. And you got to believe it. Well, take a look at Proverbs 13.4. It says this, the sluggard. Now, what's a sluggard? A sluggard, that's a rough way of saying a lazy person. But it's more than just lazy. As a matter of fact, the Bible pits sluggard against a godly man, meaning it's ungodly. It's actually not like God to be lazy. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Okay, you understand, here's the problem. If you are lazy, you still have the same cravings that all of us have. You still have the desire to want things, to, to get things, to try to move forward in life. The problem is, you're not going to do anything about it, so now you've got to match hopelessness in there. Because there's no way to change it. If you don't put in the effort, there's not going to be a different outcome. So you, all of a sudden, have no positive view of the future, and depression is going to creep in. Laziness is really rough on your psyche. But it says right here, the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Who holds the keys to satisfaction? God alone. And he's got the keys in his pocket. And if you're being a little punk or a little brat, he's not giving you the keys. Because then that would encourage your bad behavior. So he's going to keep away the satisfaction and keep it in his pocket. And so you're going to constantly go, I don't have anything. and I feel so unsatisfied. So yeah, how about trying to grow up and do what I asked you to do and then I'll give you the key to satisfaction. That's a way of disciplining you, discipling you through life. But understand that laziness can lead to something far more dark. And this is what we may not, may not notice. Look at Proverbs 19.15. Proverbs 19.15. Laziness, like anything in this life, can become an addiction. 
I believe that's what's being addressed here. It says, laziness brings on deep sleep. You're thinking, sweet, I've been, I've had a hard time sleeping for a while. So if I was only a little bit more lazy, I could probably get a good night's sleep. Okay, that's not what it means. It does not mean comfortable slumber. What it means is the kind of sleep you can't wake up from very well. What it means is, and, and I don't need you to raise your hand, but how many of you guys uh, have ever taken a little too much sleeping medication and you wake up in the morning and it lasted about six hours longer than you hoped for? Okay, then all of a sudden you're in the morning and you got all this stuff to do and you're in a total fog. You can't shake the fog. You're going, I gotta get stuff done. I gotta do this stuff. And you're walking around like a zombie. That's the deep sleep it's talking about. It's talking about a sleep that you can't get out of even when you have the motivation to do something. In other words, laziness breeds more laziness. That laziness begins to breed an addiction. Let me ask you this. What, how would you feel if you laid in bed all week and never got out? Would you feel rested? No. Why? You'd feel lethargic and it would start destroying you. Because the idea is your body works on that stress and recovery growth pattern. If there is no stress to it, if there is no moving forward, there's no growth. Okay? So, we have to watch out because sometimes this laziness keeps going and going and going. And then we're in a place where we can't turn around and get out of it very fast. Because we don't have any healthy patterns of good work ethic. Real quick side note. Everyone that I ever talk to that's lazy, usually their stance is this. Oh, I'm only just doing, I'm just on a break, man. I'm just like, like a little bit, a little bit. I'm only doing a little bit here. I'm just trying to chill out for a little bit. I don't really, you don't need to stress out about it. It's only a little bit. Okay. Okay. You guys ready for some math? Here we go. Here we go. Little bit plus little bit plus little bit equals a lot of it. And so I, I appreciate, I appreciate your excuses. However, uh, after they string together, it, it's called a lot. Okay, here we go. We need to store up while we can. Turn with me to Proverbs 6.6. 6. Proverbs 6.6. 6. This has become one of the more um, oft-quoted Proverbs, probably because of the funny way it starts out, but I think, it's, I think there's some deep truth here. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. All right, here's the way I believe that life works. I believe that life provides you small, tiny windows of opportunity that you have to take advantage of because then the window closes again. Then another window opens. Now, this has been said in commercials all the time. It's called opportunity knocking. You guys have heard that phrase? Well, that's what it's talking about. Now, for those of you that do not have your health today, um, whether it's uh, just rough on you the older you get or whether or not you're struggling maybe with a serious disease uh, or fibromyalgia or something like that, think back about the fact that you now realize that you don't always have your health and that there was a window that you had to work. You always thought that window would continue on forever but it actually was a much smaller than you imagined. Okay, well, the rest of us that are healthy currently, we think our window's gonna last forever, and it's not. At some point, you're gonna blow out your knees in construction, right? At some point, your body's gonna give out. You actually have a limited window by which to get certain things done. And so we must take advantage of the times that God gives us to get that stuff rolling. 
That's basically what I think it was saying here. And sometimes you just got to be very simple and pragmatic. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says this. A sluggard does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. Hey, look, if you don't sow, you're not going to reap. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. Okay? If you don't do anything, you're not going to get anything. That's real simple. All right? It, it, you know, it's so funny because I, I talk to people and they go, Lance, that's dumb. And I go, I know. That's why I'm embarrassed that I have to tell you it. <laughs> and, then, and then somebody else says, well, I, I need some financial counseling. And I say, well, don't spend more than you have. And they go, no, that, 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 that was dumb. And I go, I, 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 that's my point. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Sometimes it's the simple stuff that we need to get down. It doesn't need to be super complicated. It's the idea of going, well, if you don't work, I guess you're not going to eat. Okay, that's kind of the point. Now, you, you have to ask yourself through this process of laziness, how is it possible to remain lazy over an extended period of time? Wouldn't sheer life irritate you to get a job? Wouldn't something step in and, you know, kind of jerk you out of this slumber? Well, there's a reason why you can remain apathetic for a long period of time, and that answer is found in Proverbs 26.16. Proverbs 26.16. How is it possible to continue to do nothing for extended periods of time? Because people do this for years. Rather magnificent. Here we go. Proverbs 26.16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. Everyone that I've talked to that's a career, apathetic, no worker, always has the same reason. They're more brilliant than everybody else. They have all the greatest clues to the universe, and over a two-hour period, they will tell you with the coffee that you just bought them. You understand what I'm saying? They are willing to share their view all over the place. And they're going to tell you all the incredible dreams and plans that they have and how it's been so amazing and I'm just around the corner from getting it done. You've been saying that for the last seven years. You understand what I'm saying? And so when we look at this, we just have to go, wait a second, are you really smarter than everybody else? And then this phrase comes up. I say, hey, well, why don't you get a job over here? And they go, oh, dude, I'm not a $7 an hour guy. I'm a $16 an hour guy. And I go, really? Because you look like a $0 an hour guy. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Is that at some point, something is better than nothing. And so what happens is, then they, they use phrases like this. Well, if I get a job, how in the world am I going to look for a job? I'm like, are you listening to yourself at all? Do you have any idea what you just said? Okay, and I, I understand what you're trying to say, but what you're doing is you're, you're sounding really silly. At some point, you got to go, listen, if I'm boxing in back and I'm doing overnighters where I'm trying to stock and I'm doing my hard work, that's called a good, honest wage. And you keep going, but I'm all, I'm all corporate. i got to do this. Okay, right now you're not anything. How about we do something? That'd be great. And that is the lie that we buy into, but we always have reasons and excuses. I have people come up to me after services and remind me exactly why they're not working. Okay, at some point you got to call it because everyone in your family is hoping that you will, that you'll actually get a job. Does that make sense? All right. 
we move on to the second major element, uh, not just the issue of laziness, but the issue of hard work on the positive side. Proverbs 28:19. if you would turn with me there. Proverbs 28:19. It was really funny. I had someone come up to me after the service last time, and they said, you know, I think you can be a little bit harder on everybody. I was like, really? I don't really know how, but I'm trying. Proverbs 28, 19. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Okay, I'm an entrepreneur by nature. Okay, I'm an idea guy. I'm a dreamer. And that's what I'm good at, and that's what I like to do. As a matter of fact, in my house, I have collections of all my invention ideas written down, some of them drawn out. I have business ideas. I have multiple books that I'm working on at the same time. I have movie scripts that are in the works, and we're actually filming them. We got all kinds of stuff. I got a million ideas. I'm all over the map because that's where I'm peaceful. That's what makes me live. That's exciting to me. I love the idea of creation. However, at some point, if I only focused on those, I would be chasing fantasies. As a matter of fact, I'm so into this that it just irritated my wife to the degree that this is how our conversations now go. As I said, honey, I got this killer idea. And she goes, are you going to do it? And I go, no, I'm just talking about it. Well, then forget it. I don't want to hear you. Okay. <laughs> she is so practical that she's like, okay, I've gotten excited about 13,000 of your ideas and you never do any of them. So at some point it just becomes irritating. Okay. Stop sharing it with me until you're going to do it. All right. That's pretty practical. Now, we have to understand that at some point it gets into fantasy. And that's where I would, have, I would have remained had I not had some guidance because that is my nature. You understand? At some point, even though you do have an amazing idea, and, and as a matter of fact, your idea probably is brilliant. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not telling you that this idea can't work. What I'm telling you is it has not worked for you historically. So maybe someone else could grab the reins and it would work for them. However, it cannot work for you, and in the meantime, we have to provide the best that we can. Does that make sense? All right. We pick up the next element in Proverbs 18.9. Proverbs 18.9. It says this, One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Wow. That's God's view. One who is slack in his work is brother to to one who destroys. That's serious. That's like God's not kidding around. He said, you are destroying people when you are joking around and not taking this seriously. When you work, you work hard and right. Now understand that the Bible does not only speak about beating your head against the wall and just working hard. It also talks about working smart. And that's where we pick up uh, Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Proverbs 22:29. It says, "Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men." In other words, what you may not understand is that there's a passage in Exodus, and I used it at the leadership retreat this last weekend that I was teaching, and it talks about the building of the tabernacle, which was uh, before the temple was locked down in place. It was kind of movable temple concept. And there was all these intricate designs. And God says, I have selected this man out and I have supernaturally gifted him by the power of the Holy Spirit to work with stone and wood 
and gold and silver and bronze. I have supernaturally gifted him as a craftsman. Okay, to do the job I asked him to do, and I gave him help. Okay, when you read that, you need to understand something. We all put spiritual gifts into topics that work in the church. Oh, you're preaching, you're teaching, you're exhorting, you're encouraging, you're doing this, you're doing that. Do you understand that that list is not exhaustive? As a matter of fact, working on cars, being good at math, having the ability to see things before they happen in terms of planning, organization, these are supernatural spiritual gifts that God gave you to change the world. Quit trying to play the church game that it doesn't have any value unless you use it right at church. How about the fact that God supernaturally gifted you to be excellent at your work product? Because you may be an amazing businesswoman or an amazing businessman, and that was given to you by God. So good stewardship means that you hone that gift. You sharpen that skill so that you don't just work harder, but you work smarter and you become great in your element. I believe that is honoring to God. At some point, Proverbs 14.23 comes true. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Stop the talk. I already shared with you last week, that's where I wrestle with. And at some point, you've got to stop talking about it. And you've got to do something about it. God has built things into each and every one of us to keep us motivated to do right things. Look at Proverbs 16.26. Proverbs 16.26. I know you guys are jumping all over the place. I guess you picked the wrong church. Proverbs 16.26. The laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. Okay, all things in life that have diminishing returns that are healthy were put there by God to spur you to do better or spur you to do it again. For example, God gave us diminishing hunger issues. For example, how many times have you ever finished a meal and you just gorged yourself to such an enormous degree that you go, I never want to eat again? And you really mean it, right? And then, of course, what happens? You eat again. Okay, what happens is our tanks then empty out and we have to replenish them. Our hunger drives us on. We have little alarms. Do you realize that the hunger pangs that you feel are not your body saying that they need food. The hunger pangs are alarms that you set that says now it's when we normally eat food. Do you understand the difference between those two things? And if you actually want to mess with your alarms, have you guys ever fasted? Okay, if you do an extended fast, you basically take your alarm clock of your body and smash it into pieces and it will stop going off. Because what happens is the longer you go without food, eventually hunger pangs actually stop. Your body just shuts off and goes, fine, whatever. You're not going to eat. I can't force you to eat, okay? It basically gets frustrated and just stops doing it. Okay, the point is, is that our bodies have all these little alarms. Now, it even goes through other areas of diminishing return. For example, sex life and marriage. You go, well, no sex experience is fully satisfying. That's on purpose. Because when it diminishes down, it requires you then to reconnect and try again and then reconnect. What it does is it continuously forces people to have relationship. It's supposed to be a diminishing return. The same thing happens with all of our drives. They're supposed to have little internal motivators to help you keep healthy. That's why they're there. Sometimes we get so angry about them, and of course I get irritated just like you. But something about that is important. 
And that's what we have to embrace. Finally, let's look at Proverbs 21, verse 5 in this section. Proverbs 21, verse 5. You cannot just randomly fire all over the place and try to do a million things and, well, I'm a, I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, because eventually you're going to exhaust yourself just by sheer strain of trying to figure out what you're doing next. It's actually more tiring than having a consistent job. And that's why we need a plan. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Uh, quick story. Before I got married, and some of you here have heard this before, so I apologize. But before I got married to Susie, my wife, um, before I ever mentioned anything to her, I wanted to find out if I was thinking correctly. I knew I was young. I knew I probably didn't know what in the world I was talking about. I'd never been married before, and so I wanted to seek counsel and advice. So what I did is I invited my dad, my brother, and the guy that was going to be the best man at my wedding up to Tahoe for an overnight to talk about it. And I had written down lists on why I wanted to get married. I wrote down lists on why I was going to marry Susie. And then I said, all right, you guys have all been married or even been divorced. You guys know what this stuff entails. Am I just being an idiot here? Listen to what I'm telling you, and I want you to push back on me and tell me whether or not I'm being wise. Because I may be way off base here. So we went through the whole evening and talked about it. And finally got around, and I said, all right, let's get some feedback here. I said, Dad, what do you think? Now, by the way, my brother wasn't able to go, and my dad didn't know why we were going up there, so we brought a guy named Dave. So anyway, I just had some random dude named Dave that helped me decide whether or not I was going to make the biggest decision of my life. Anyway, now he was actually a really neat guy. Neat guy. Um, Dad, Dad, what do you think? And he said, well, Ernest, I think you need to be ready to be married in three ways. I think you need to be ready uh, spiritually. I think you need to be ready emotionally. And I think you need to be ready financially. Now, Lance, I think that you are ready emotionally. I think that you have a good head on your shoulders. I think that you're prepared to lead I think you're prepared to do a lot of good things for your family. I think you're ready spiritually. I think you're grounded in the Lord. I think you know exactly where you're at with Him. And I think that you could be the leader of your household spiritually. However, I question your financial viability. I don't think you're ready to support a family. There's no way. Now, was he right? Absolutely he was right. No question. Um, at this time in my life, this is a very transitionary period for me. And I was still shifting out of music. And then trying to figure out what I was going to do next. So I still had, you know, hair down to here. I was still doing the speed metal drumming, this whole concept. I mean, I, I had always worked hard, but I never had a career. And so what I needed to do was hear his words. Now, that's difficult for someone to go, I don't think you, you can cut it right now financially. That's difficult to hear. But it was accurate. I had to make some serious adjustments and changes because what I wanted had a price to it. What I wanted was a family. What I wanted was a marriage. Well, that cost something, which means I had to make some adjustments to prepare for it. So I absolutely made some dramatic adjustments and ended up starting the career, and that's how I got involved in the insurance industry. Now, did I want to do insurance, per se? Absolutely not. But I wanted a family, and that was more important to me. So my point is, is that you have to have a plan to move forward, and sometimes we need someone from the outside to help us put that plan together because we don't see it so clear ourselves, right? All right, let's go to the third major element of Proverbs, and that is ill-gotten gain. It's called cheating in business. Um, a real quick side note, lies in business are still lies. I don't care what the industry says. And you go, but I'm in sales. 
I know. I know. I know. I was in sales. I get it. And, and let me tell you this. Honestly, if you truly believe that the industry standard demands lying and deception, then you cannot work there as a believer. I'll just tell you that right now. I don't want to hear you wrestle with it anymore. Enough is enough. Walk away. Well, I don't know how to do anything else. That's unfortunate. All right, moving on. There we go. That was my big counsel for you. Okay. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2. By the way, those jokes don't work on CD. Those aren't funny. Okay, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2. Once again, we got to own this. We got to buy into it. We got to realize that corruption and uh, deception and cheating are not valuable. All right? Otherwise, we're only doing it by obedience, and then that will only be a matter of temptation level when we snap. Ill gotten treasures are of no value. But righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. That means if you're a believer or a child of God, God will keep busting you for your deception. And you go, well, that's not fair. That guy over there is completely devious and he's making bank. Okay, is he a believer? Well, no. All right, then I guess different rules apply. Oh, so I'm busted because I'm a child of God. No, I said different rules apply. If that man is has a black soul and he's hurtling towards hellfire, I think God has a bit more issues to deal with than whether or not he's making too much money or he's corrupt. Don't you think God's going to whisper to him a little bit about his spiritual life? A little bit more than, hey man, you're cheating those people. Who cares? If you're on your way to hell, who cares how many people you're cheating? You understand what I'm saying? But for a believer, for someone adopted into the family of God... God is not going to allow you to deceive for too long. He'll keep frustrating you. He'll keep getting in there and go, that's not what we do in our family. That's not what we do in our family. That's not what we do in our family. And he'll keep bothering you about it and try to keep on a bit shorter leash. Now, he will give you sometimes enough rope to hang yourself. You understand that? I know a lot of Christians that have gone a long time in deception and God didn't say a word. He's watching to see what you'll do. And I'm asking you right now, this is a warning. Step out of that environment. Don't do it anymore. Because God just gave you your last warning, perhaps. All right? We move into this portion, which is in Proverbs 11.1. 1. Proverbs 11.1. 1. God has no patience for cheating. So be honest in your business dealings. Proverbs 11.1. 1. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Okay, first of all, abhor means hate. God hates cheating. And then what are weights and scales? Well, here's how the ancient world worked. When you wanted to buy something, let's say you wanted to buy um, a whole bunch of dates or figs in the Middle Eastern world. You scooped up a bunch of them. You would then put them on a scale, and that would make the scale slam down, right? Because it's the only thing heavy on it. Then what you do is you take out rocks, stones, and written on the stone is how much it weighs and what that means in cost. You then put the weight the stone on the other side of the scale. Eventually, when it balances out, you know how many rocks you owe. Does that make sense? Well, not all rocks are created equal. So what that means is some rocks are more porous and they're lighter, even though they're the same size. So they would cheat. They would take out a rock and it looked just as big as all the other rocks, so no one could see it from the outside, but they knew it weighed less. And they would write on it that it was weighed more. And that was the way that they would cheat. That's called dishonest scales and dishonest weights. There's always been a way to cheat. 
So I need you to understand that God is ferocious about cheating in the business world. Now, I want you to listen to these three verses. Just listen to them and tell me what you think God is saying. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Better to be poor than a liar. What do you think you're hearing? Character is more important than gain. What is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Okay, you can be the richest man alive, but character matters more. Godliness matters more. That is the Christian worldview. If you do not buy into that, you're ramming your head up against God. It's not going to last very long. We pick up the last two, and they're very short, very simple um, concepts in some ways. A little bit more tricky in others. The last two concepts that Proverbs talks about are bribery and boasting. So let's handle the bribery issue. Listen to these two verses back to back and you tell me how God feels about bribes. Proverbs 17:8. A bribe is a charm to the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he succeeds. Proverbs 17:23. A wicked man accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the course of justice. So how does God feel about bribes? Oh, okay. In one sense, you're like, it's a good thing. No, it's a bad thing. No, it's a good thing. I think it's a bad thing. Okay, There's, it's telling you two different stories. Why? Because the answer is kind of. Is You have to understand that we're in a different culture here. And first of all, you need to realize that Proverbs states truth as it is seen. He didn't recommend bribes at all in either one of those passages. Let me ask you the same question. Do bribes work? Yeah, they do. Of course they do. That's why people bribe. Why would you bribe if it doesn't work? Okay, so of course they work. Of course it goes in your favor. That's why corrupt people do it in this country. However, it didn't say, and this is a really good idea, you should do it. But I do need to bring in some issues that will cause confusion. We have different cultures and different times. Let me give you an example. In our country, why is it wrong to bribe? Because really, what's the difference between a bribe and a gift? Is it wrong on Christmas for me to give you a gift? No, but suddenly it's wrong if I slip a $100 bill in your back pocket as you go up to the stand. Right? Isn't that one's bad, one's good? Okay, what in our culture makes a bribe bad? You would probably venture to say it gives an unfair advantage and it's manipulation, right? Manipulatory. Okay, what if in your culture it shows effort and interest? For example, let's say all of us in the tribe were to do business with each other. But we could do business with any of the hundreds of people that are here. So if you want my business, I want you to take personal attention to me. I want you to look in and say, you can do business with everybody, but I'm so interested in your business that I'm willing to give you a personal gift to tell you that I value your business. What if that's your culture? Is that a bribe? Because that's where a lot of cultures are. Is that a bribe or is that just a gift? Let me tell you how this worked out practically in my life. In my insurance stint, I worked for three different companies. In one company, um, we worked nationwide, and so we would have different uh, claims hit in different places. Let's say somebody's house got flooded. Well, then we had to call in a company that would clean up the water and dry the carpets, right? Well, we're not going to go do it, so you hire out a subcontractor to go do it. Well, guess who came and took us out to lunch every month? The subcontractors, right? And so what would happen is we'd go out to lunch with these folks, and the idea was, hey, 
you, everyone's vying for your business. We want you to know that we value your business to such a degree that we're, we're willing to personally come and take you to lunch to let you know we want to establish a connection and a bond with you that you would always select us. Is that wrong? In that company, not only was it right, it was okay, it was encouraged. I went to the next company and it was considered unethical and wrong. Well, which is true. Okay, that's why you, when you read into Proverbs, you start going, well, I don't know if it's really clear. Because it's not really clear. It depends on your environment. Now, if in your environment it somehow indicates corruption, it's always wrong, regardless of the industry standards. Remember, we just talked about that. If it's wrong, biblically, if it's wrong in your environment, it's wrong, period. And you have to avoid it like the plague. But if you're in a Middle East culture and you begin to do things where it's the idea of how business is done and it's done not in a corrupt fashion, you may have to look at that and go, well, wait a second. Am I not looking at things right? So Proverbs is trying to bring you to open your eyes and begin to make good decisions. We close with Proverbs 25, verse 6. Would you take a look at me? Uh, take a look at me. That was arrogant. Just let's everyone just stare at me for a moment. That'd be great. Look with me at Proverbs 25, verse 6. I'm tired. <laughs> I have had a long weekend. Proverbs 25, verse 6. I don't even know what church I'm preaching to. Proverbs 25, verse 6. Um, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before a nobleman. When you start working hard and when you start working skillfully, and when you start doing what God asks you to do, you're going to find that you begin to excel. You begin to find that you begin to climb this corporate ladder, and then you begin to get good at what you do, and you start getting cocky about it. You start getting arrogant about it. You start going, man, look at me. I'm all that, and everybody thinks I'm great, and I'm excellent. Look at me. I'm a good worker. And all of a sudden, it starts becoming all about you. What does the Bible say about pride? Pride goes before the fall. Okay, God will knock you off your pedestal, and he does it on purpose. Humility has to be a steady course of your diet where you have to consistently remember it's not all about you. And even when you do, sometimes when you do God's stuff, it really works out well for you. That doesn't mean that you're great. You understand what I'm saying? We have to keep our heads screwed on straight if we're going to be in solid work ethic mentality. I close with this final story. If you ask me, Lance, how you doing? I almost always will say the same thing. I'm totally busy. Okay, now why I have to use the word totally in front of everything, I have no idea. It's, it happened in the 80s, and I don't know what happened, but it never left me. So I always say that, I'm totally busy. And I mean it, absolutely, I'm totally busy. As a matter of fact, I'm getting a shirt that says totally busy. So you don't even have to ask how I'm doing, you know I'm totally busy. Now, what happens is that when I say that, people get the wrong impression. They believe that it means I'm so slammed at work that now my family has no access to me, no time, and I'm totally consumed. Now, that would have been the case had I not had the health and structure brought in by my wife. But she has made me healthier. So actually, when I tell you that I am totally busy, what I mean is I have an allotted portion of my life for work, and I have a allotted portion of my life for family. They do not crisscross. And what I mean is, in my work life, I'm slammed, meaning I have more than I can handle, and I'm handling very heavy things. I have no time to breathe. 
When I walk in the office, I am running and gunning, and I'm that kind of guy. I am just Mr. Hurl at a million miles an hour and then collapse. I am working my tail off when I'm at the office. When I go home, I am home. I do not work at home. But when I'm at home, I have little children. You guys know what I'm talking about? That means my home life is slammed. Being an active father and being involved and engaged in cleaning the house and being an active participant, doing the dishes, making sure things are accurate, playing with my children, tucking them into bed, reading a story to them, making sure that they have fun time, doing daddy-daughter date days, doing all that stuff. When you have little kids, you are slammed at home. So I'm slammed at work and I'm slammed at home, but make no mistake, those do not cross. And you have to have balance and health. And I would have never had any of that if it was not for my wife. My wife brought in all those strong structures that said, this cannot eat this alive. Because either work will destroy your home, or you'll spend all your time at work constantly on the phone and talking with all your family and screwing around. And all you do is solve problems with a high drama of your family. Okay, that's not working. That's just constantly handling family stuff on someone else's dime. When you're at work, work hard. When you're at home, work hard, but make sure they're not the same thing. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your challenges. And thank you for the eye-opening experience of reading your word once again. And Lord, we have so many exciting things we've already learned in Proverbs, and yet it just keeps coming. I ask, Lord, that you would continuously hold us close to you, that we might hear your whispers, that we might not be chased by the world, but Lord, that we would lead culture with a Christian mindset, and that, Father, we would do what is right in your eyes. May you be glorified in our work life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.